Hello listeners, have you used Edge? Do you think Bing is okay? Have you spent any time with ChatGPT? Do you know what a GPT is? If all of these things don't make you want to run screaming, you will enjoy this episode. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961 to 2020. Welcome to Blind Insights, a podcast we call A Haphazard Guide to Living, hosted by philosophy master David Olney and myself, a philosophy student, Tim Whiffen. I am joined by David Olney. How are you, David? I am very well. That's good to hear. And as audiences may have discerned already, we're joining each other virtually using the joys of technology and the internet, which is the subject of our talk today. It's a funny combination of joys and humphs. Like, we've got <laughs> lovely sound quality, but, you know, it, it was like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And then Zencast, as usual, failed the health check, so now we're on Riverside. It's like, <laughs> thanks to software packages that are in competition with each other for death and control of podcasting, only one <laughs> of you works, sort of. <laughs> You know, um, at work, I've been convinced that the best way to go about it is using dedicated communications technology as opposed to things that uh, for podcasts. I like, like that idea, but do we need a platinum mine? Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm investigating it. We can possibly get like a, a sound a baby card. platinum mine. Yeah, that's right. I'm definitely investigating it. But yeah, getting like a, a clear phone call effectively using then VoIP as in voice of internet protocol would be the yep. way to go. Because that's effectively what this is. It's just packaged up in a, boat. a pretty interface. Mm. Yeah. Whereas what we want is no pretty interface and just I want to talk to that human. Put their email in. Send thing. Click on link. Burp. Well, at some point we might not even need to talk to humans. I guess that's a, an interesting little segue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, listeners, what's changed in the last couple of weeks while we thought we'd talk about technology is I've gone back and forth between. Firefox and Chrome for years because I'll be doing something on the internet and something will inevitably fail in one. Then I'll go to the other and hope it works. At least once a fortnight, they both fail. And yet I knew that Microsoft had put a ton of work into accessibility for Edge. I'm like, oh, not Edge, not Edge. Don't make me go to Microsoft land. Please don't make me. I've been in Microsoft land for a week and everything nearly works. It's much better than Chrome or Firefox from a blind perspective. Mm. So I've had to eat my humble pie and go, Microsoft don't always entirely suck. And the thing is, the everything that people complained about with uh, Edge, as it used to be, is almost really null and void now that it's got the bones of Chrome underneath it. It's Chromium-based, as they call it. Mm. So, Which is a novel idea that Microsoft just once again had to go, uh, we tried from scratch, we broke it. And now let's just scavenge something and debug it. And, and guess what? The yeah. debugged version, from what I can tell, is pretty damn good so far. You know, adding all of that like top-level accessibility is actually, that's still all their work. So, mm. well, I mean, maybe not all their work, but like there is intention set there. It's not as if it's just got a different logo on the front of it. But No, and that's clear because even when I go in the settings menu and look to do things, you know, Microsoft's commitment to accessibility is really high. Like mm. when Edge first came out, its accessibility was hopeless. 
And it was huge amounts of work. And then when the new Edge came out, which must be the Chromium-based one, things got better, but I was like so wary of I ain't going to Microsoft land for anything I don't have to. And yet this week we just I was getting so frustrated. And I'm like, oh, all that work that accessibility software companies put in, like the people that you know developed my screen reader, JAWS, it, it's all worthwhile because they worked so hard with Microsoft. And Microsoft seemed to work so hard to meet the accessibility commitments they'd make that actually it's a really nice product. <laughs> and it's actually really not the only reason that Google is pooping their pants over what Microsoft is oh, doing. Now, now we're on the real issue of the day of why Google <laughs> had to call a red meeting, as they call it at Google, mm. which means all the nerdy nerds are shitting bricks. <laughs> but it's interesting, last week or the week before now, Google actually called in Larry and Sergey to go, help, <laughs> we're doomed. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'm sure it was in that little you know, shitty voice too. <laughs> well, Mickey Mouse know, goes nerd. It doesn't feel like a coincidence at this point that Apple is certainly better than Android at uh, accessibility and then Microsoft seemed to be beating Chrome in the yep. you know web browser base. Microsoft yep. sucks at advertising probably in the same way that Apple doesn't intend to do anything that's, you know, open source. So, mm. like, you know, each, I guess, has their merit, I guess you could say. But realistically, you know, Google's sitting on a bag of money regardless. Well, it's uh, sitting on an old bag of money that could mm. very, very much be challenged. So, of course, let the listeners, what we're hinting up at, and we're the 4,000th podcast to talk about it. <laughs> From a different perspective. <laughs> it's the implications of chat GPT to what Tim and I actually do, which is need computers to be useful. Yeah. Strange shit, a useful computer. Yeah, that's right. And uh, this is an an area that Microsoft has really upped their game and made Bing, much like, you know, we might have said a while ago that Edge wasn't the best browser. Bing certainly didn't have a good reputation for being the best search engine. No, I Um, think it was something like 10% of searches... And I'd have to imagine that was because of the amount of corporations and environments where you were only allowed to have things that passed the Microsoft security test. So Mm. I think predominantly the 10% of searches done with Bing were done because it was the only search engine you were allowed to have in the only browser you were allowed to have. True. Also, the Windows search, if you enter into Windows search and it's not a prompt i guess that would open a program or something in windows it'll automatically open up a bing yeah it defaults to bing so that's probably why it's learnt lots of stuff so uh, of course the implications are here listeners if you've not gone down the chat gpt rabbit hole Mm -hmm. is that by the end of march an awful lot of us are going to be able to use bing with chat gpt features built in so we will have the current most capable available to normal humans ai giving us a short answer before the normal search results that actually answers your question. Mm. And from what I've you know read and listened to so far, you know, chat GPT occasionally throws up some really strange incorrect answers. <laughs> but part of what you know Bing will be doing as I understand it is going, well, the thing chat GPT Bing threw up literally was a vomit, wasn't <laughs> so good. And it will tell ChatGPT to clean up its mess, take the bucket away, and have another go. 
And all yeah. this will happen in the, the half a second it would normally take to get your search results. And suddenly you will get a natural language few sentences answering your question and then relevant search answers like you would normally get with Google. So the implications, of course, of this is who cares what ads turn up on the search page? Mm. So Google's revenue potentially if what Microsoft are doing with bits of chat GPT goes well... Google's ad revenue just gets slashed and burned in months and a year from now. That is not the cash cow it's been since 1999. Yeah, that's right. And it will do things like throw ads and stuff at, at you from what I've seen it like do from now. So there's absolutely no reason why it like it's going to fail mm. in terms of monetization or anything. But the real... But not it, from the old model of being about search. It would have to be yeah. ads based on the natural language paragraph that yep. actually are also part of answering your question. Absolutely. So the yeah. ads will need to be connected, you know, to the meaningful stuff that the AI puts up, not just randomly attached to keywords. Because how often do you actually click on an ad that pops up on a search engine? Yeah, that's right. I think maybe once a year. Yeah, yeah. Yes, unless you're in the habit of clicking the top link on Google just by default. Yeah. And I'm not because yeah. I know it would normally take me to a pointless ad that's got nothing to do with what I want to know. But doesn't isn't that funny? Like it almost circles back to another topic, and I'd only just put this together. But it it almost necessitates inbound marketing because all of a sudden the search that you're doing isn't based on keywords; it is based on answering questions. Yep, precisely. So we're back to my thesis: we ask, it answers, mm. and if it answers well, it then puts ads up that have been paid for, but that actually are complementary to answering my question. Mm. So, ironically, technology is going to go inbound even when most crusty marketers haven't got there yet. <laughs> True. I think it's interesting, um, and what may surprise listeners is that it doesn't just give you a flat-out answer in, in two seconds as if it was pre-written. It will actively search things for you. So you can do stuff like how many suitcases will fit in the boot of my specific car model, let's say yep. we, Mazda 3 or whatever it is. And yep. you can even give it the model of the suitcase and it will find yep. the dimensions on that web page by and searching calculate. for that. Yep, calculate yep. and then find the dimensions of the, the boot space of whatever car it is. But not only will it just go, here's the leaderage, it will think about the fact that it'll watch a YouTube video or something of yeah, someone talking how. about about yeah. that boot and so, and it'll say, oh, it's got this curvature, which makes it weird. And so then it, instead of saying, even though technically by literage, you could fit nine suitcases in because of the shape of the boot, it was like, yeah, more like seven. And, and all of a sudden, getting your answer becomes really quickly because you don't have to do any of that work yourself. Nope. So uh, this is going to make humans into goldfish, but that's a whole other problem. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it has good accessibility. Oh, that's fantastic because it actually answers questions. Yes. So this is so significant. For any of our listeners out there who have a mathematical or data bent, if you want to be the most employable person you can be <laughs> next year, mm. there are very, very smart people out there working out how ChatGPT can use a mathematical language for machine learning called Wolfram Alpha. So if you want to be the most dangerous prompt engineer by next year and earn lots of money, go work out how to prompt engineer with ChatGPT and do it using maths and data, using mm. Wolfram Alpha, and you will be you know, Spock in Star Trek or Data in the new version in your ability to get the answer. 
Yeah. Uh, the era, I think, of the desirability of a uh, quote-unquote full-stack developer, as in someone that can just do everything, is ending because you're going to need people that do very specific things for this. Or people who've just got wonderful logic and good language skills and enough maths to combine good questions with using Wolfram Alpha well. Yeah. So, it's... so we're in the era of the very, very educated generalist. Mm. And it's not as if you need to study anything that has to do with computers necessarily to enter no. those. Yeah, B- Because you'll be in a natural language interface and a mathematical language interface that really isn't any more complicated to learn. From what I've been told, Wolfram Alpha is no worse than first-year university maths to understand and use. <laughs> so that excludes me just because I couldn't see to do maths and I had to stop. doesn't mean I couldn't do it if I didn't learn now with you know, maths XML, mm. but, but I couldn't do it at the time where I was doing all the maths in my head. Now, again, what's significant about us talking about AI and technology is, again, it's how much does it enable people to do stuff? Does the machine take over? I'm going to make my normal argument that what I am already seeing uh, where I've got people I work with playing with chat GPT every day to become very good prompt engineers, that we are heading toward a world of intelligence augmentation, taking the creativity and the puzzle-solving brain of humans and the ability to see patterns and getting the AI to crush huge amounts of data fast when given very good instructions it understands. So this is not about you know Skynet emerging. We're not talking about a general AI. We're talking about something that's only useful if you've trained and stretched your brain to use it well. Mm. And this is a shared by most of the like kind of AI academics as well, which is that it will be like an obscenely long time before anything like this, you know, put someone out of a job. The jobs will change, but yeah. and and if you're worried about it, you just get very good at using it. Oh, like I said, but, you become a prompt engineer. You get so good at understanding how to get it to do the right thing. Mm. And that becomes a real advantage for people like Tim and I who, you know, like playing with technology but also don't want to be absolute nerds who know how to put the ones and zeros in the right order. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's augmented intelligence in this, like, you know, and I think mm. that's, like, it is actually a huge misnomer to call it artificial intelligence. No, uh, it's machine but... learning that we will mm. interface via intelligence augmentation. It's allowing us to do what we want, and it can do what we ask it to, but doesn't think of anything to do beyond that point. And if you're worried about things like that, you know, what was the term that you used before? Like, you said something about melting our minds or something like that. Oh, well. The goldfish we'll, brains. We'll be the final step. Now, I think for a proportion of humans, once we have Apple, Microsoft, or or uh, Google Glasses, where you know, the, the nice little AI visualizes holographically in front of one eye and you know, answers our questions in real time and we don't have to think or do anything beyond ask, where is pizza? Where is bathroom? <laughs> Am I meant to go to bed yet? There's going to be some outstanding zombie goldfish. Yeah. But yep. that's okay. I won't have to interact with them. It'll be fine. Uh, look, I, it, I feel like those people weren't already... They're like, already binging Netflix, gaming yeah. 23 hours a day, and it's the same <laughs> shape as their couch. 
Nothing's really going to not, change. I'm not really worried about, you know, it ruining no. society or anything. And you know, it's a bit like, you know, the arguments, arguments like that were made about the calculator, which, you know, we all now utilize. It just saves time. It was used about like even books, yep. I think. Books were meant to be the scariest thing at the time. I um, think the thing I do worry about mm. is that we will be even more overwhelmed by how much we can do in a short period. And we've got to remember that our biological systems can only concentrate and work well for so long. So really, this is the beginning, I think, of a transition. You know, Keynes thought we'd only work, what did he think, five hours a week mm, yeah. a century ago? Yep. It's going to get to the point where if you're working in conjunction, if mm. you're going to be working with machine learning, Actually, GPT, what it stands for, I never remember, is actually a good description of what it is in that it just crunches stuff. And if you it's, ask it a good question, it crunches through it faster and more effectively. Generic, generic something training? I, yeah. Maybe I'm making that up. Or, uh, or gen, general program training? Tim's looking it up right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll get it right. A generative pre-trained transformer. Gener so if we're working with a generative pre-trained transformer like chat GPT, and I'm going to say generated or generative it's generative because it keeps changing. Okay. So yeah, the thing with this is we're going to get really tired because we'll get so much done in short periods of time. So if anything is ever going to facilitate shorter days, hopefully this does, or we're all going to look like zombies at the end of a work day where we've been mm -hmm. interfacing with our GPT. Well, it's at least going to make your job easier to the point that you could probably get most of your work done in a quarter of the time and yep. just have to pretend that you don't. <laughs> Whereas really the rest thing, best thing that workplaces could do is just accept, let people go home, have two shifts of human who only do a couple of hours each, have twice yep. the productivity. Because in some areas that will be possible. In others, yes. we'll have to think. Yes. Now, that's the positive bit of all of this. Now, to me, some of the negative is how we got to chat GPT being good this fast. Like OpenAI was meant to be the white hat in the room it was meant to be doing everything in a way that was people-friendly um, mm. and ethical. And it turns out that about a year ago, Microsoft gave, well, not gave them, Microsoft made a billion dollars available to OpenAI in exchange mm. for access to all the code. Yep. <laughs> so fundamentally, ChatGPT, Microsoft understand it because they put the money in. And uh, I think they also opened up all the... Uh, all the server farms, the cloud server farms, for it to train on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's interesting. Now, as a consequence of that, a heap of the original OpenAI programmers left and are now on their own project, back to their ethical rules, which is called Claude. And some of the initial stuff written about Claude sounds like Claude is utterly amazing, already more advanced than ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And then we have, okay, why did Google have you know, a red meeting where they had to call in Larry and Sergey? Well, <laughs> I think it's because most of their AI or GPT products mustn't be where they thought they'd be by now. Otherwise, mm. why would they be worried? If they had been as advanced with their development, they would have known that the nature of search was going to change. They would know that this was going to change online advertising. And being that they had such a head start with the amount of data, the amount of information they pull in from Google search, and yeah. the amount of information they could have trained GPTs on, why yeah. did they why did they have a red meeting? It's very interesting. It's scary. 
Oh, it's like very interesting because what it shows to me here is you you can have all the right people supposedly and still not get it right, which I love. Oh yeah, it's got instability in it, and you know I'm beginning to get to the point where I like systems with instability because it means life stops being predictable and I worry less about us doing dumb shit. <laughs> That's funny because the instability is almost a direct people doing dumb shit still. The, yeah, like yeah, but it's also just dumb shit happens, and the great thing with that is things will hopefully break before they're dangerous. Mm, that's okay. I see what you're saying. You can do all the right things, and dumb shit still happens. <laughs> so that's my great hope for the human race. We can, do wrong, <laughs> we can do all the wrong things, and dumb shit might still break it. Yeah, <laughs> so true. I'm not sure um, if it's cynical I'm, I'm or not... stoic. Yeah. Stoic would be a kinder way to describe it. Yeah. Pretty cynical, though. It's like, well, we're yeah. going to do dumb shit, so I need something random to break it. Actually, it's the problem I... of reading all these Christian Cameron novels about ancient Greece mm. and ancient Persia, where the gods are, you know, oh, what's that word? Capricious. It's an awesome mm. word. Capricious yes. gods. So yes. what we've got here is a, capri- a capricious reality. This guy's, I'm going to stick a spanner in that. <laughs> yep. Life is absurd. Yep. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not worried about Google's wallets or anything. You know, they're. I don't care. I, is... I hope it breaks them and it, it opens up the world again. Oh, I'd be in. Well, you know, in in most ways, I, like Google is absolutely not my friend. Um, but um, I am pretty addicted to YouTube. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that that's an earner because it's humans making things to entertain humans. Oh, that they're not going to lose their publisher nah. status, I don't think. But nah. um, it, it'll it'll probably mess with it. I think weird things will happen, and we'll mm. just get some weird ass features and weird moments, and it'll be a. I it, I don't think it'll be. If there's a downfall, it's going to be messy. Well, I just hope what it is is they start genuinely being creative, working out more ways to sift money into their corner. <laughs> or indeed, not. Why not have other people in the game? I don't know. Well, yeah. that, that, see. Talking about other people in the game, this is an interesting thing I've noticed since I got my Apple Watch, is, mm. of course, you don't have a browser on there. Yes. But what you can do is ask it to give you information about something. And it doesn't give you that answer in natural language, but it puts all the pieces in a very, in the right order to be absorbed and used. Interesting. And I'm like, hmm, how and where are Apple doing their GPT training. Yeah. Now, the watch means you can't have a screen full of things and see what people read and click on. You have to put a tiny bit of information on a watch screen and see if people respond to it or do the search again. And I've found consistently I reach for my watch over my phone to search for anything because it gets a more immediate, more useful response. Wow. An odd side note here. I imagine that something in your case um, that would be useful is because you know ChatGPT and these models can take in visual information. You can ask um, on Bing search like whether clothes um, match. Yeah, I, I think basically a lot of the apps I've had on my iPhone mm. um, are going to change dramatically in helping with accessibility. And mm. listeners, you might remember that we had a brilliant gentleman who was the person who created Seeing AI, one of yeah. the best accessibility apps. Now, can we imagine what Seeing AI is going to be like with chunks of chat GPT built into it? Yep. And how yep. that will suddenly be useful for so many people for so many reasons. Because of natural language, just ask it the question and it can just answer 
and it's hooked to a camera on your phone. Like, come on, yeah. Apple, hurry up. I need my Apple glasses with stereo cameras so I can feed seeing AI enough data to have <laughs> chat GPT describing the world to me in real time. But it, contextualizing reverse image searches is going to be a game changer for that service. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Like, you you could see something in the real world. It remind you of something. You have absolutely no idea what it is, but you are frustrated by the fact that you can't think of what it is. Mm. You could take a photo of it, upload it to a reverse image search, ask what like it reminds you of, and yep. the context of the AI yep. will be able to spit it up to you in a much yep. more efficient and accurate way than reverse image searches have up until now. Yep, and if it gets it wrong the first time, go, that was a poor go, try again. Yeah, but with this, and you could use yeah. it like that's the thing. It will be, it will get so good at interpreting your yep. poor articulation of what you want. Yep. <laughs> yep. And the more people who are using this, the better it's going to get. So my, you know, question is: in the couple of months we've had access to ChatGPT, mm. how many times has it been quietly tweaked in the background? Because to my mind, the people who say it does a terrible job are the people who are not willing to bend from their logic to its logic of using language. Mm-hmm. The faster you realize it doesn't listen to you because you're you, it listens to you if you talk to it in a way it understands, the better yeah. the results you get. And from what I've seen so far, there are people who are never going to be prompt engineers and there's people who within about a week can get amazing quality results out of it. It's very interesting. It is. I feel we've covered most of the points that, I have feelings and thoughts on. It's more, I, I do want to reiterate, it's not something to be scared of. Nah, um, this is that, all fun that gives you mm, more ability to do things you want to do at the moment. And yep. plenty of opportunities for people who are creative and good at seeing patterns to have very powerful tools to show what they can do. Yes. And yes, the systems are fallible if you can purposefully confuse them and confound them. But, you know... One, most people aren't intentionally going in to try and break stuff when they genuinely want an answer. No. And two, when has anything ever been a replacement for critical thinking skills? So Or creativity, uh, never. Yes, exactly. Parts of AI do come after the creative industries, but again, every single academic or people who look into this will tell you that it is absolutely it's so far off being independently acceptable in the creative industries. It's... Mm always going to be a form of augmentation um it will always need editing it will always need a direction mm. Mm. and just remember you know listeners gpts they learn what's in front of them but they carry the bias of their programmers so they do have some biases in there and some of the ones that have been found are very interesting so an african friend made the point to me you can't get chat gpt to make a black joke but it will happily make a native american joke Wow. So you see the extent to which the norms of today have impacted something that's just a tool. So always remember as much as it's processing huge amounts of information and it's clever ones and zeros on silicon wafers, humans still put the code in the order it started in and there's still it's some still biases a, in there. Yeah, it's still, yeah. it's still inevitably human Yep. for all good reasons and bad reasons. Thus, yep. back to my monkey wrench comment that, you know, shit will happen, <laughs> it will fail, but it will also do amazing things. Yes. And uh, it's only, I feel, uh, a net benefit because, yes, you can call it out for XYZ thing, but 
um, lots of those things already existed, whereas the abilities that it has brought into the world are relatively plus some. So, but listeners, just wait until Apple glasses exist and I can walk around with <laughs> seeing AI describing everything I'm seeing to me and can be doing a running commentary that I'm recording on my Apple glasses of it talking to me and me talking to all of you. Could that be the weirdest podcast ever? So odd. I'm going to miss talking to Analog, David. Ha! David 3.0. Uh-oh. All right. Well, thank you for talking to me today, David. Thank you, Tim. And thank you, audience. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If the ideas of this episode have inspired you, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. Do them a favour so we can make a better informed and connected world. Thank you to Solstice Podcasting for use of their studio. If you're interested in making your own podcast, find out more at solsticepodcasting.com.au.